I really could have saved him a lot of time. He's free to introduce me this way. This is the old pastor that preaches too long. <laughs> Actually, uh, Bob Ham, who used to be our uh, choir director here for some 21 years, I think, or 22, uh, came up to me one day after worship and he said, uh, you are a 27-minute preacher. I said, what does that mean? He said, it doesn't matter what you have to say, you're going to take 27 minutes to say it. <laughs> so I uh, very carefully checked with uh, my watch after that and found out he was right. <laughs> I take at least 27 minutes to say it. So I, I looked through my uh, notes this morning, and I'm pretty confident I have 27 minutes there. Um, there is a poem, that, though, that I would like to share in addition to that, which is about two minutes long, so that's 29 minutes. I'm getting right up to the limit here. Um, but Pastor Brian allowed me 30 minutes, so I think I should be under, unless I really get carried away and then <laughs> throw out the plan for, for this morning. It's always an honor to be asked as a retired pastor to stand at what my father called the sacred desk, the pulpit. The sacred desk. I don't know where he got that, but it's really a great way to describe this moment. He believed it was a sacred desk because across this desk, hopefully, came the words of life that we depend on. So it's always an honor to stand at the sacred desk wherever I am, but especially here in this place where Leanne and I were fortunate to have 15 years together and now fortunate to be a part of the congregation. It's an honor to bring you something today from my heart, and in this case, from my back pocket. I was asked to share some thoughts about when you feel lost or uncertain. And I want to begin, and then I will come back to it later in the message with my life verse that if you've ever sent me an email and I responded, you already know what it is from Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Now, Karl Barth, the Swiss Reformed theologian way back when, used to say that the pastor, the preacher, should preach with a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other, to be aware of current events, but also to remember that the Bible is the text for the moment when the words of life come across the sacred desk. I did a little research this week, Brian, and found out he didn't exactly say that. He said this, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read them both, but interpret the newspapers 
from your Bible. And his point was that the scripture that comes across this desk into our hearts, that the scripture should impact our lives. These current events that we're always tangled up in, they're not without a connection to our faith in scripture and the story of God and the words of God that have come across the desk into our lives to impact those moments in powerful ways. And so in other words, we need to look at our life and we need to look at our world, but it's always as people of faith through the lens of scripture. Or if we're going to hear it, we hear it through the earphone of God's voice in our lives. And so today, I want to share these brief thoughts about the realities of life that are uncertain, sometimes wreak havoc in our lives. But that's not my text. My text is the scripture. Let us pray. Lord, as we consider our world this morning, as we consider our own lives, both our accomplishments and our misdeeds, help us to keep perspective. Help us to be realistic about what is happening around us. But always, always remembering your words, your ways, your truth that speaks to our condition and invites us to a new and better life. So in the midst of these words that are spoken across this desk, help us to hear your voice speaking in our own lives and in the midst of this struggling world. In your name we pray. Amen. So it's the newspaper and the Bible. It's the context that we live in, and it's the Scripture. On the one hand, it's what's going on in the world that causes us so much unrest and uncertainty. On the other hand, it's what is God saying now, or what is God doing now in the world or in our lives. Now, there's two things that we can say about life. On the one hand, we have to say life is beautiful and extraordinary. It is beautiful and extraordinary. Hugs and smiles and love and surprises and miracles and amazing things. If you're a Facebook friend of mine, I know I bore you to death with pictures of sunrises. <laughs> I don't care. You can defriend me if you want. I'm going to post those pictures and I'll tell you why. I have never been more grateful to see the sun come up. Ever. And when we're over at the lake, and I realize I'm waking up, and I see dawn coming out the window, 
I can't stay there. I've got to go see it. And I take a picture. Some people say, what kind of a camera do you have? I have an iPhone. (laughs) But it just reminds me. Life is beautiful and extraordinary. But at the same time, life is painful, ridden with anxiety and uncertainty, some brokenness, some confusion, sometimes tragedy, tremendous losses, and unanswered questions. Questions that you never really answer. And so the, the great theologian Forrest Gump had it right. Life is like a box of chocolates you never know what you're going to get. It could be an incredible sunrise that says life is so good. And it could be a ride in helicopter. Praying for your children. So, it's beautiful and it's agonizing, this thing that we call life. So, I could skip this, but I'm not going to because I have the floor right now. (laughs) This is a poem by Parker Palmer in the book, On the Brink of Everything, Grace, Gravity, and Getting Old. Yes, I'm reading those kinds of books now. (laughs) Grace, Gravity, and Getting Old. Now, he was impressed to write this poem after he read this one by Henry David Thoreau. It's only one line. My life has been the poem I would have writ, but I could not both live and utter it. And so, with that short line, Parker wrote this ditty about life. The beautiful and the agonizing moments that we face. He said, The first words are the hardest. Sound surrounds you in the womb, grows louder when you're born, and you listen. For the day will come when you must speak words too. That's how we make our way in this trackless landscape called the world. But how and what to say and what does saying do? Later, words come easily. You learn to speak the language of what you want and need to help you find the pathway into and through your life, to make it clear what you believe, to reach out to friends, to find work to do, heal your wounds, ease your fears, get chance on chance to give love and receive. And sometimes words leap out of you in ways you soon regret or in ways so magical you silently rehearse them, hoping never to forget how they came out of the blue, demanding 
to have life breathed into them by you. And then you learn the first words aren't the hardest. The hardest are the last. There's so much you want to say. But time keeps taking time and all your words away. How to say amid the flood of grief and gratitude you feel, thank you, or how beautiful, how grand, or how do, I don't know how I survived, or I was changed forever the day we too joined lives and hands. And as you reach for your last words, you realize this is it. This is it. These are my last words. This ebbing tide of language called your life. Words trailing into silence, returning to the source. This unfinished poem you would have writ had it not been for the heartache and the joy of all the years of living it. It's beautiful, extraordinary. At the center of the world is the grace of God. It's an incredible gift for every day. But it can be so difficult. M. Scott Peck, in his book, The Road Less Traveled. If you've read it, uh, you may not remember much about it. It's a pretty heavy book, so it's hard to keep up with. What's he really saying? But you re everybody remembers the first three words. The first three words, life is difficult. That's where he starts. That's his premise. He actually goes on to say it wouldn't be so difficult if we didn't think it was supposed to be easy. Life is difficult. It's part of getting through all the way to the end. Jesus said it this way, in the world you will have trouble. But Jesus went on to say that same place, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's difficult, but it's beautiful. Grace is at the center of our faith and the world that we live in. So here's my question today. How about you? What are you thinking about these days? What is going on in your heart? And what kept you up last night? about life. Anne Lamott, recently talking about these troubled times, said, I'm having trouble remembering all the things I'm supposed to be freaked out about right now. She says, it's like trying to put an octopus to bed, and just when you think you've finally got all the arms tucked in, one pops out. I feel alternately alternately crushed, enraged, and flabbergasted. This is what life is doing to her. I feel alternately crushed, enraged, and flabbergasted. But, she said, also hopeful, amazed by the roaring and tender humanitarian responses. Lately, that's me. The arms have been popping out. I like to put them all to bed. They won't stay there for 24 hours. They pop out. Again, and sometimes my spirit, maybe like yours, maybe not, is beaten down by it. Life is difficult. 
Sometimes it seems like it's a national or international crisis of difficulty that, I, that you see in the current events that keep you up at night and keep you worrying and keep you on your knees praying. People are sick and dying. Some of your loved ones died. Some of your friends have died of this COVID thing. Or you're worried about getting sick and dying. Or you're worried about your loved ones getting sick and dying. I don't know about you. The world seems more broken to me, more divisive, more polarized. It doesn't seem like humanity wants to go in a direction together. Friends are not talking as much together, but those friends are arguing more with each other. They just don't do it in person. Families are at odds. Families that are, I know somebody who is debating whether or not to invite Uncle Ed to Thanksgiving dinner this year because last year a food fight broke out at the table. We're still killing other people with guns. I can't imagine that. I couldn't shoot a cat with a gun. People are still poor. You may not be poor. It may not bother you. It bothers me. People are still poor. And they're getting further and further behind. Now, hungry and thirsty people are still hungry and thirsty. That's why, Pastor Brian, your food pantry is feeding 400 or 500 families every month. Praise God for that. And why we continue to send money to our partners to build wells. They're dying of thirst. This is what I'm reading in the newspaper. This creates a lot of anxiety for me. There's a lot of uncertainty about this. Sometimes I feel a little lost in it. But this is the unruly, uncertain context of life today. It wreaks havoc in our lives because it's a fact of life. Life is difficult. But it's something we must navigate. And Eugene Peterson, rock star for God, said in his book, the Un Under the Unpredictable Plant, what the pastor's job was. Now, you're going you're to laugh at this first line, Pastor Brian. He says, what pastors do, or at least are called to do, is really quite simple. Okay, tell me, how simple is it? <laughs> it wasn't very simple for me. This group here is like herding cats. <laughs> it's not that simple. But he says this is why he says it's simple. Pastors have one job to do. Pastors say the word God to people. Pastors show up and say God in the midst of people's lives. He says they say it accurately so that so that they can stay in touch with the basic realities of their existence. They say it clearly so people will know what's really going on. They say that name personally. They say it alongside us in the actual circumstances of our lives so we will recognize and respond to the God who is both at our side and on our side. Whether it doesn't seem like it or whether we don't feel it or not, they keep showing up and they keep saying, God, but God. But I'm facing this. Yes, 
but God. That's the pastor's job, and that's my job today. That's why I'm here. I didn't come to fill a slot. I came to say God to you (laughs) because I know you have uncertainty or will have soon because you're living like this is my vocation. I'm not here to give advice. Something about sociology, something about psychology, something about politics. Oh, no, that's not my job. Our job is to say, God, say it out loud. Say it in the face of our doubts. To say, God, and to be pointed beyond the depressing news in the newspaper to the one that the scriptures say is the way. The one who can show us the way in uncertain times. So we stop and we say, God, we stop and we pray to God because while life is very difficult, life in God is deeply profound. That doesn't mean life in God gets you a bumper sticker that fixes everything. Oh, no. Three steps to a happy marriage doesn't work. Life in God works because it's not simple. It is profound. And this is how I want you to hear God this morning in this text of Scripture, and then I'll tell you a story. In Luke chapter 18, you're you're familiar with this. I know I've read this probably once every year for 15 years, usually during stewardship series. This is not a sermon about money, as you can tell. So you're going to have to try to figure out what in the heck I'm talking about. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And a certain uh, certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want life. What must I do? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and money. Mother, I've done that ever since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Hmm. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. When he heard this, it became very sad. Because he was very wealthy. He came for an answer. He got an answer he didn't like. And he left it and walked away. This isn't about giving money. This isn't even about giving money to the poor. This is a message about what I call the big question at the heart of every day's uncertainties and questions. This man had his own insecurities. He had his doubts about his future. He was anxious about his spiritual life. But he asked the right question. What must I do to have eternal life? 
Now, if you know anything about eternal life, you know it doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins when you have faith in a living God. It's not about quantity of life, aeons and aeons and aeons and aeons of time with God. It's about a quality of life that begins with a step of faith. He asked the right question. And so at the heart of every question, every uncertainty, every doubt, every dilemma, every frightening loss we, we face, he asked this question. Let me paraphrase it so you can hear it better. What must I do in this uncertain moment? What must I do to have the life, the eternal life that begins now that you want for me? We wrestle with that question because we know we are called to a new life, a different kind of life. We wrestle that, with that question. We know what we really want, what we really need is a life in God. And this man wasn't sure. He wanted to hear the word God. So, in the early 70s, I was in seminary. One Friday, all the seminarians, we were all men in those days, unfortunately, but we were all men, left school for the weekend. Some of us were going to student pastors to preach. Others were going to watch football games. It was a beautiful fall day. It's going to be a beautiful weekend, and it was a beautiful weekend. We just had, it was a, it's a beautiful life that weekend. Except when we returned on Monday, we learned that one of our classmates had died over the weekend. And not just died, he died of a gunshot that hit him in the head. I won't go through all the details. It was an accident. Nobody was a criminal. It was a, a, sh a shot that was fired in the country, and it hit him in the head. And that was the news we came back to from our beautiful weekend. My theology was ruined that day. That didn't fit into anything I knew about God. Why would God, I had all these questions, why would God allow that? He was called, to, God called him to the ministry. He was bright. He was an upperclassman. He was about ready to graduate. He was now dead in a field out in Fowler, Indiana. I had all these questions. And then I, and then I heard that Dr. Massey was calling us together in the chapel. And in the chapel, we were going to talk. We were going to remember. We were going to debrief what had happened. And I was so grateful because I just looked up to this mentor of mine, Dr. Massey. Dr. Massey was going to tell us how this works in our theology. I was sitting near the front because I wanted to hear every single word he had to say because I knew at some point in my life I was going to deal with a tragedy and I was going to have to say how this works with God. And Dr. Massey started like this. Gentlemen, I have no answers. I have no answers. Please, don't even try to find answers. We don't have the capacity 
to make sense of things like this. But this is what we can do. We can affirm our faith in the God who is still with us. We can sing our faith in the face of uncertainties. We can keep trusting that voice and that spirit as we live our lives. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and sing. And I want you to sing with all the passion and all the volume you have. Sing this song through your tears. In the midst of things we don't understand and cannot explain. Because we do know this. The love of God is with us. And that love will keep us following the one God has sent into our lives. And we stood together and we sang. I thought we were going to sing some mournful tune. You know what we sang, Brian? We sang, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. The King of creation. We sang it. And we believed it because we had heard the name God. This invitation is, is for all of us. It's for you. It's for me. It's a pocket verse. It will be the shortest one in the series. Come, follow me. But, but it's hard. It doesn't matter. It's hard for Jesus too. Come, follow me. I don't, I don't know how to act justly. I don't know how to love mercy. I don't know how to really trust God in those moments. This is how. Come, follow me. I said yes to that invitation on March the 18th, 1961, when I was 11. But I have found over the last 60 years, I have to say yes to that invitation every day because life keeps happening. Let us pray. I pray, Lord, that each of us would find our place on the path of following Jesus of Nazareth, one that stretches our faith, one that demonstrates our trust in you, one that results in a unified congregation, one that is consistent with what you are saying to each of us as we hear your name and answer this question for ourselves. What, Lord, must I do to have the life you want for me? Thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Amen.